I don't think you need to specialize to be good per se. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Should you specialize? Do you ever regret that perhaps you reached your full potential uh, as, as a dentist because you didn't become a specialist? Or maybe you can't stand being a GDP and you yearn to limit your practice to, to specialize in something. Or maybe you love the variety and you don't think you could do the same kind of stuff day in, day out, uh, and the thought was puts you off. I'm going to interview today with Harjot Bansal, who's doing his MCLIN Dent in Prosthodontics at the Eastman. And it's great to have a perspective in terms of what it's like in terms of commitment, time, money, uh, intensity and all those things that so if you're, if you're thinking of specializing that that could be quite a helpful thing to, to consider I've also got some GDPs and, and people with special interests giving their two pence uh, about the subject it is a, a bit like a, a debate that you know I'm a little bit biased towards team GDP if you like uh, because you know someone has to represent GDPs I will be sort of having a debate with Harjo and the guests to, to sort of gather different perspectives the protrusive dental pearl for this episode is to show your human side to your patients, okay? So I sort of discovered this uh, by accident where six months ago I changed my surgery's computer desktop background to a photo of me on my elective in Vietnam. It's, it's a lovely photo, but I'll put it um, in, in, in my blog post. It's, it's me with these um, Vietnamese children in a rural village and everyone's smiling. And I think I'm handing out stickers or something. Uh, and it was just a perfect shot captured. When new patients come in, the addition of that photograph really creates a warming environment. If you can find a way to, to make an icebreaker with your patients, then, then that's always a great thing to do. So that has worked really well for me. I think when uh, patients sit down and directly in front of them, we have this big TV screen and it's got the photo of me as a desktop background. They, they really feel at ease and I can see it in their body language since I've put this photo up. So, I mean, you could do this in lots of ways. If you're a hardcore West Ham fan, have something in your surgery that shows that. Or maybe if it's a photo of your children or loved ones, a framed photograph perhaps, or maybe a photo of your pets. I think all these have a really nice touch, a really nice human touch. And if you try this, you'll see that patients will notice and it really humanizes you. And I think as dentists, we really need that. So the pearl for today is to humanize yourself. It's really, really powerful with nervous patients. Okay, so this episode is a little bit different to my last ones. Uh, I'll be hopping from guest to guest and I'll try and mix it up to vary it a little bit. Harjot Bansal, thank you so much for, for joining us on Protrusive today. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been good to have you. Obviously, we've been friends for a while now, and I'm always liking your work on Instagram, and uh, I know you keep yourself very busy <laughs> uh, clinically, academically, all those things. So uh, for those of you out there listening who don't know Harjot, Harjot, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? Jazz, thanks for having me on today. I am currently working in practice and currently studying part-time, doing my prosthodontic training at the Eastman, which I started about six, seven months ago now. So I'm halfway through the first year. How many years is this course? So it's three years to do the MCLIN Dent, and then the final year is your MRD exams, your specialist training exams, essentially. Um, so for the part-timers for myself, it's three, three days a week for three years. And if you're a full-timer, so you can do this full-time, it's full-time five days a week uh, for two years. But that, that, that then you still, even if you do it full time, you still need to do the MRD, right? Yeah, so then it'll be another, it'll be another year, absolutely. Full time, is that another year full time? Well, it's not quite full time. I think you have uh, a little bit less 
time when you actually go in but I, I end up seeing a lot of the full-timers who are doing the MRD are in a lot you know they've got a lot of work to do they've got patients to finish off they've got cases that they need to try and finish and lab work to do as well so it's pretty much yeah it's going to be either three years or four years one, one thing I remember speaking to a lot of people in my you know journey from even as a dental student to, to where I am uh, now as a young dentist is I've asked a lot of people about different postgraduate programs and one thing you constantly hear is that Eastman is just a, a different kettle of fish. Eastman is like really hardcore. Like it's, uh, you know, the, for example, the cons conservative dentistry MSc was also known as the divorce course, for example, you know, uh, it's really full on. Can you, can you vouch for that? Is, is it really how it, how it is? So I think you need to tally up with your, with your personality as well. The first three months of the MSc in conservative dentistry like you just mentioned and the MClendent in prosthodontics, which I'm doing, they run side by side. We learn all the same content. Um, they don't do the removable stuff. We do removable prosthodontics as well. Um, and the first three months is super intense. It's really a, it's a, it's the phantom head course, which involves learning a lot of different kind of prep designs and understanding uh, your material sciences as well, understanding the laboratory side of what you're going to be implementing on your patients. And it is just a lot to take on board. And there's no doubt that I was there times till 10, 11 at night. Yeah, that's I've heard that. See, late at night, early in the morning, and it just takes over your life for a, for a period of time. It does. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it doesn't have to be that way. There are people on the course who've got, you know, families, they've got kids, they are just really, really good at getting things done. You know, they're, they're condensing the workload and, and learning efficiently and working well that they just are able to get things done. So it's up to you as a person. You don't have to be there, but there's a lot of work. There's no doubt. Of course, a man who knows he needs no introduction is Drushar Periodontist, giving his input on why he specialised and, and why it might not be right for everyone. And it sort of follows on from the transition to private dentistry. I think it's episode three, uh, which is definitely worth a listen to. I've got lots of good, great feedback. It's probably my, my, my most listened to episode. So if you haven't heard episode three, do check that one out. It's got it's full of gems from Drushar. Um, I think people end up specialising for the wrong reasons most of the time. A lot of people have found and spoken to say, oh, I don't like NHS dentistry uh, in practice. I'm going to go and specialise. I don't think you should specialise for that reason. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been alluded that dentistry is a long career. Now, I ended up specialising because of what I enjoyed. I, I enjoyed the surgical aspect. How long I did it take you to figure out that that's what you enjoyed? Five years. Fair five enough. long years. Um, but I, was, I was doing very long hours, so, you know, uh, six days of practice, six days in the hospital. Sundays I did extra days with the MaxFact surgeons. Eventually I realised that. So I'm the only specialist who says, if you want to do good quality dentistry, you don't need to specialize. Don't specialize if you want to do that. Because you're gonna spend a shed load of money. Uh, your fees aren't cheap. You're going to be working in a system that is an ideal, which carries a lot of stress with it. Uh, and that, this goes back to our podcast. You remember when we talked about pain and pleasure? Mm -hmm. Do not do this to move away from pain. Yeah. Go to us pleasure. So my advice to young dentists is to say, look, take your time do a multitude of roles, perhaps stay in a practice for you know, quite a few years and see your work coming back, understand it and then think, do you want to really enjoy just one part of dentistry or do you want to be a practitioner who enjoys doing many aspects yeah. of dentistry? And you can still limit your so. practice to, to a lot of things 
Uh, yes. You may choose to, I'll do, I'll do, I, I won't do endos, but I'll do everything else. I know some practitioners do that. Yes. Uh, and they haven't specialized in one thing, but they've limited their practice to their own niche, if you like. Their own niche, uh, their own and, interest. And that's fine, and that's what, what that means. And the other thing I've been reading uh, or listening to audio books a lot for is uh, personal finance. Yes. When you actually think about how much you invest in terms of loss of earnings and how much you spend in the fees, okay, that money put into a mutual fund in a tax protected account or something, and the interest <laughs> accrued in stocks and shares over the years, and uh, and then the fact that once you do become a this uh, you know all singing all dancing specialist, it takes that one complaint to ruin your life. That's a completely different spin I'm putting on it. It's very volatile that's still very in this country. Very, it's very scary very thought, scary, isn't, it? isn't it? But yeah, you're right. Look, that's why I said sacrifice is big for specialism. So unless you thoroughly are focused and enjoy something. Yeah. Specialising is, 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 is something that you have to be careful about. Don't do it to move away from or run away from something. Yeah. If you're going to really enjoy it, that's why you're doing it. Because and, and then it's very rewarding you know, as a, for, you, for you in all sorts of ways yes. once, once you've done it for the right reasons. I mean, let me be honest, it's a monotonous job for me. You know, 90% of my work is root planing, understanding chronic peripatients. Okay, maybe now it's 70% as I sort of diversify a little bit more. Um, but this is what you'll get. Are you ready for that? And financially, you know. And, and, and most endodontists, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're not doing, you know, uh, I, I suppose uh, MTA plugs all the time, uh, they're, they're fancy stuff. They're, they're doing, you know, the primary root filling of a broken down, barely restorable lower molar with a patient who can't open very wide. That's why they got referred to you. Correct. Uh, so this is the, the real world is not all. Uh, you know, you shouldn't fantasize that once I'm a specialist, I'll get happiness. You have to actually think about it in a different mentality and then it comes back yeah. to mindset once again. It goes back to mindset again, yes, but yeah, that's my view. What advice would you give someone when they at that crossroads where a lot of people think, oh, I need to specialize to be good or that's the pathway for me? I don't think you need to specialize to be good per se. So that was Mahal Patel, someone I really respect. He's a fantastic educator. We are in a long career. Right? We are on average in a 45-year career, in my opinion. We start dentistry on average about the age of 23. We'll work towards you know, our late 60s. 45 years of doing teeth is a very long time. My advice would be not to rush into anything too hastily, mm -hmm. because if we break down 45 years into thirds, the first third of your career is 15 years, the next third is another 15, which takes you up to 30 years. And then the last third is, you know, between 30 and 45 years. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So I would say at the early starts of one's career, one should try and do as much as they can. Look at working in primary care, maybe look at working in secondary care to get different ranges of experience like you have done, going out back into primary care and then making more formalized decisions from there. And I really like the way that he broke the, the long career down to, into little chunks and how to think about each one. So that was a real nice way of doing it.
The training pathways these days are a lot more clear cut and they do allow entry at a much younger age. And that can be, a, you know, to an advantage of a younger dentist looking to go into specialist training because the pathway is there. So as long as they've carried out the right requirements, can tick all the boxes on their CV, go in at the interview, do well, they'll get accepted, hopefully in their center of choice. Um, but I think you don't necessarily have to be a specialist to be good at anything. There are plenty of uh, general dental practitioners who are uh, excellent clinicians, and uh, that's one way to look at it as well. He works in referral practices in the West End and Wimbledon. Uh, some of his courses are just fantastic, focusing around splint therapy, two-surface loss, rehabilitation of the, the worn dentition. Oh, Ajman, when you when you're... When you've made a conscious decision that you're going to immerse yourself in in, in, a, in a subject and you're you're paying the fees and you're there, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of personalities were like, yeah. right, I'm here now. Let me just max it out, do the do the most I can. But obviously, for those who can't, because they've got families and whatnot, and there's <laughs> so much you can do, then I suppose they they just uh, do the most they can within reason, without upsetting the balance. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And the, the thing to remember is is you're quite right. When you're, when you're paying that kind of money, you want to really take everything away from it that you can. And I've definitely been back uh, in on the weekends and after work about to come in just to finish some things off. But I mean, it's part and parcel. You know what you're getting yourself into and it is really intense. And you've just got to, like you said, you've got to immerse yourself into, you've got to enjoy it as well at the same time, right? You wouldn't be doing it if you hated it. And there are days where you just feel like, oh my God, I've got so much to do. But actually what you find is, is that after the initial three months, then comes all the kind of reading that you need to do, all the seminar work, which is really intense. If you don't mind, roughly uh, what kind of fees would you be looking at if you're thinking of specialising? And to be honest with you, it's not specific to Eastman. If you want to do the Perio Emklin Dent, uh, I don't know, Queen Mary's, you're paying roughly similar sort of fees. Is that you, correct? I mean, you're any, anywhere between, I'd say, the, the 12 and kind of 15 to 18,000 pound mark is what you'd be paying for any of these kind of monospecialty. That's why, like you said, you've got to get the most out of it. It's important to keep busy and to, to do as many cases as you can, even if you feel like you're overburdening yourself or you're taking more time out to do it you know you're there for a reason you know why you're there you're making loads of sacrifices not just financial time spent with family and doing other things social things just make the most of it and just immerse yourself in it you know so so it's a, it's a, it's a fee that's per, yeah. that's per year obviously and we that's listen to the uh, tr um uh, the, the USA episode that I had uh, with Christina, um, they're paying yeah. you know far more than that in the US for specialty oh, programs, yeah. so you got to uh, take that into account. But also then on the flip side, there's the three famous letters LOE, loss of earnings. Okay, so <laughs> when you're not there uh, doing teeth in a practice and you're doing it in a university setting or a hospital setting, then there's a huge element of, of loss of earnings, and you need to be able to sit down and and you know speak with your accountant maybe is that is that a good idea to do to see if it's uh plausible to make a make a plan financial plan you know i don't think anyone would go into or well i hope no one would go into this kind of course without having really thought about it very carefully and i had to do loads of planning beforehand i spent probably about 18 months planning finances and how am i going to pay for everything and there were lots of things that i had to take into consideration financially loss of earnings was one of the main things but i'm going to come on to loss of earnings in 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 a second actually um but yeah you know the fee structure changes every year there's it always increases slightly every year um so you need to be able to set aside enough money to pay your tuition fees 
in terms of loss of earnings, here's here's the here's the strange thing actually is, although I've gone from being in practice full time to now three days a week, I'm in practice. Let me see, Mondays, Thursdays, Saturdays. I would probably say, even though I've cut out two weekdays, I don't think I've I don't think the loss of earnings is that much. And I'll tell you why. It's because you become more confident in what you're doing. Your prescribing pattern also changes. So yes, there's a loss of earnings, but I don't think it's as substantial. If you're a full-time student, then yes, that's something you need to take into consideration. You need to plan a bit more carefully. You need to put some money away. There are grants available. Student loans, is that, is that, I mean, excuse my ignorance, but for postgraduate programs, uh, specialty programs, is there a sort of student loan program? They take out professional loans. They take out loans with the banks. They take out, they take out professional loans rather okay. than um, student loans. We've all been through the student loans company and some of us are still trying to pay that off. Yep, guilty. Yep. Yeah, same here. They don't give you any more money, unfortunately, um, for your postgrad training. But it's it's good to mention about you know even though you cut down some days your uh, earnings doesn't take as you know as proportional of a hit basically uh, and because you're already reaping the rewards of increased knowledge and sort of working like a prosthodontist thinking like a prosthodontist. This is Catherine Sanahill who told me one of her sort. Of professional regrets if you like is is not specializing as an orthodontist so for her to be pursuing a diploma in orthodontics is perhaps the next best thing so i love learning is the first reason um and i've been doing gathered a lot of orthodontic knowledge over the last few years and more experience and the more i know the more i realize i don't know and i want to be able to tackle more complex cases and refer less out of the practice Lauren's a successful practice owner and he's also doing the diploma with me and he had this to say. I think from, I don't know about you and me, Catherine, but I think we're a little bit older. And so to go back to uni now... It would be hard to lose your be, income and go back to Reducing them, yes. Whereas I think if I was more, in your, more your age, yeah, I would consider it. The, yeah. the main thing with this podcast yeah. is, yeah. do you think you have to be a specialist Oh. to be successful or to, to have fulfillment and Catherine any thoughts about that or to do great work no de- definitely not I think there's such yeah. an orthodontic need out there I think yeah. people all people want at the moment the current trend is straight white teeth yeah. um, people are asking for orthodontics yeah. more and um, more so the demand is there the need yeah. is there yeah. I don't think there are enough orthodontists especially, especially with the NHS considering orthodontics more of a cosmetic treatment now um, that is definitely increasing the need and also with uh, the kids not wearing their retainers and then the majority of the cases I treat are relapse caps from from NHS ortho what's the point why specialize why did you specialize I never really thought about it when I qualified. I remember being a DF1 and the the point at which I thought I need to not necessarily specialize but do something extra. And I remember it was quite vivid really. I was sitting in a keynote lecture at the BDA conference in Manchester. All the DF1s have to go on it. Um, And Basil Mizrahi was talking. And I remember thinking to myself, right, how do I get to doing that kind of work? What what kind of route do I need to take? And specialising and doing any kind of structured learning and kind of formal pathway was something I didn't even think about even at that time. 
Uh, it was only when I'd been on a few courses and I even did Basil's course and I thought it was absolutely amazing. And I talked to a lot of people um, who had done similar courses that I realized actually if I want to be doing a certain type of work and more dentistry that I like to do, um, where I could be mm-hmm. a bit picky about the cases I wanted to do, then for me, I wanted to be able to do, have enough depth of knowledge um, to be able to, to do that kind of work. Um, there, there were some very influential people who really gave me a bit of impetus when I saw some of their work, really, into thinking, actually, specialist training is what I need to do to do the kind of cases they were doing. Okay, can I, can I just give you a counter-argument? Sure. Are you ready for this, yeah? I knew you'd mentioned Basim Zarahi, an absolute uh, gr- amazing clinician. You know, his, his work's uh, just wow, you know? So what about the Chris Ors? What about the Tidu Mankus? They're just BDS. Yeah, absolutely. And equally, I think that if you want to want to go down that route, that's absolutely fine. Um, but absolutely, th- th- there are loads of different ways to be able to get to your destination and, and achieve the goals that you want to do without having to do this kind of really expensive formal training dedicated for three or four years there are ways to do it but i do feel that sometimes there are so many different courses out there that there's a reason why well for me anyway there's a reason why the formal courses that have gone through academic institutions um have been there for you know 40 50 years it's because they work do you know what i mean and you always want to be you want your learning to be deep learning you also want it to have come from some kind of scientific grounding and i think we're all trying to implement kind of evidence-based dentistry but you really need to be able to scrutinize what you're learning and where this evidence has come from i think if you are part of an institution you're always going to be getting the latest knowledge Yes, I agree and I disagree. So I agree that uh, I'm hoping that the institutions will be t- teaching the you know the latest knowledge. But in your and you know tell me in your clinics in Eastman, are you using uh, not in private practice in Eastman? Are you using intraoral scanners? Uh, are you able to utilize the latest technology in in that respect? This is the thing, right? When when we talk about things like intraoral scanners and so we have got intraoral scanners at the Eastman. We don't use them on clinic. We have been trained to use them. I use them in private practice, like you said. But we need to come away from, are things just gadgets and we're happy to play with really expensive gadgets? Or are they really going to improve our clinical or clinical proficiency? Are we, are we going to be doing better work? Are we actually doing better work? These are the things that we need to be able to scrutinize. We all like playing with, you know, new lasers and intraoral scanners and whatever the latest gadget is. But we need to be able to say, is this really an important tool that I cannot live without. What does the evidence suggest? I I, th- I think if you know you need to learn it, you need to learn how to do you know PVS full arch impressions in program. Uh, you know I think any dentist would would need to learn that before they. And then I think digital becomes a piece of cake. It's more about the knowledge and implementation, uh, occlusal design, lab technician communication. So yeah, I mean I I, I agree with you there, mate. I, I think that although you might not have the most up-to-date cutting edge just because the scale of hospitals but uh, at least you're learning you know timeless principles which it, it, would you would you say 100%. that's right, right and i think if you understand if you have a really good solid foundation then actually learning extra techniques on the side is going to be easier for you to do and you can scrutinize them because you you get uh, not uh, you get critical reasoning uh, evaluating everything not just at face value but actually you know the evidence behind stuff which is a core component of obviously having a postgraduate absolutely, degree absolutely absolutely and 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 that's what you want to be able to do right 
look, we live in a we live in an age where social media is at the forefront of everyone's lives almost. And every time you go on Instagram or Facebook, there's always going to be someone posting something up, and you think to yourself, well, actually that looks really good, but actually. I wonder how that's going to look in five years' time, ten years' time. It's it's easy to get carried away, but you really want to be able to scrutinise what they're doing and say, well, how good is that really on a practical level? I wonder what that's going to look like in you know in the future. Well, the key word there is uh, predictability, right? Yeah. Uh, and with that, I was just you know thinking while you were and I was jotting things down as you were as, as you were speaking there uh, about the specialist route versus being the best you can be with private courses and, you know, being to the level of, let's say, Tidu Manku and Chris All, which is, you know, superhuman level, if you like. But here's my theory, okay? If you do it alone and you do it via courses, okay, the chance of you becoming to the, you know, the the, the level and knowledge and skill of these, um, you know, non-specialist clinicians, maybe, I don't know, I'm going to pluck a number, one in 50. I don't know. I, I just made it up, okay? Whereas perhaps uh, through a specialist program, uh, a taught postgraduate uh, clinical program, you know, it might be one in two. Because, I you know, I think we can both agree that not all specialists are born equal. And just because you become a prostodontist doesn't mean you're yeah. actually shit hot at yeah, dentistry. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. I think everyone is of different abilities, no doubt about it. Okay. And yeah, you can get better. There's, you know, you, you can practice things, but there's no doubt that even people with the same title, same degree, they're going to be of different abilities. Do you, what do you think of that theory that, you know, maybe by going it alone, you might not make it to where you want to be. Whereas when you get mentored in a postgraduate program, it might be more predictable in terms of you being able to do the kind of work you want to, there want to be able to do. There out there. But there's almost going to be an endless amount of courses that you can keep going on, right? Um, I think for for me as a, as a young clinician, I really wanted to be able to have constant exposure for a good couple of years where I could really see my skills improving, getting better. Um, and I think formal tra- training and something very structured was just completely the correct decision for myself. And like you said, right, there, there are so many different courses out there that you can achieve the goals that you want to you can be these um, you can be really amazing at the end of it but you're gonna have to go on quite a lot of them there's not going to be one course that gives you that but then you can do what you've done as well because i've seen you know you, you pick good courses to go on you go to dubai you've been abroad um you do them here in the uk as well and you're picking really good people to go and learn from that's also really important right we've we've gotten to the stage now where it seems like everyone is opening up and everyone's doing a course but be really really <laughs> careful absolutely learning from because you want to surround yourself with the right people a lot of these people are really good as well don't get me wrong but you we've got courses in everything these days that actually the key thing is is to be flexible uh, and not be dogmatic in your approach but the only way to be able to do that is to have relevant knowledge but also have relevant experience and i felt like having some hospital experience and actually treating complex cases in a hospital setting whilst learning on the side was it gives you protected time, doesn't yeah. it? It gives you a really, really protected environment uh, where every step, just like dental school, I suppose, gets checked over. Uh, so, you know, th- that's a real bonus of it. But you know one thing I like about being a What's GDP? That? If that a funny patient comes along and you, you, 
you know, you just, you're not going to, you know, it, some patients, their values and your values are so different. Uh, or or you find that it's a particularly tricky root canal. Like, yeah. you know, I really don't want to, it'll be a loss of earnings for well, me by attempting this one or I might mess it up. Um, that, but also, you know, I can cherry pick my cases. <laughs> like, you know what? There's a great specialist down the road. His name is no, Harjot yeah, Bansal. Yeah. He'll treat you, even though your mouth opening is 25 millimeters only, uh, he'll do your full That's mouth right. rehab. Uh, so th- there's, there's always that great thing about it. So anyone listening here, you know, Know, who's um, thinking that GDPs can't do great work? You, you definitely can. And if a mentored a postgraduate program for you is for you, then Hardjot's got some you know great points there for you to consider. But GDPs always have that uh, cherry picking ability that they always, they can always say, you know what, I'm going to send you off to this specialist. <laughs> I think a lot of I think a lot of what I'm learning now is is and by I'm I'm no way near the kind of finished article, but I, I do find that I seem to be getting some cases, especially internal referrals now, and it's usually. A lot of the times, it's it's not just tricky cases; it's tricky people as well. You know. Yes, because I was I, I, I almost didn't want to ask you this, but like, do you find people fob off people to the specialist or the the hospital environment because that's an easy thing to do? Maybe. So you know what? I think it's becoming a lot more. I think it's becoming more difficult to do that, especially in a hospital, because at the end of the day, if uh, if it's a difficult person, well, look, we have difficult people in practice anyway. Okay, and sometimes, especially if you're in the NHS, you have to treat them. That's just the way it goes, right? Um, in the hospital setting, they, they have a really strict criteria, you know. And if it's a difficult case, fine, it's a difficult case. If it's a difficult person, we can't do anything about that, you know. They sometimes they have to be seen wherever it is, whether it's in primary care, secondary care. We do get, I, I, I do find that sometimes you end up getting some people who just because people don't want to treat them, but. I mean, that comes with, you've got to understand why is that person being difficult? Is it is it a personality issue? Or is it because they actually have some real problems and you're going to be that person that's going to fix them for them? And then you could be a real, you can give them hope, obviously. But I remember when I was a DCT at Guy's Hospital, the amount of, you know, working in consultant clinics, the amount of specialist referrals we'd get for really basic stuff, but there was uh, other issues, let's call it, in, in, in the patient. And they were just being, I thought they were being fobbed off. There are some specialties that are really good for for just getting normal referrals, endodontics, perio, for example, right? Um, you're always going to have a referral base. People are going to keep referring to you. Um, prosthodontics is a lot more difficult to achieve referrals for um, because most GDPs do their own prosthodontic work, right? Everyone does their own crowns, bridges, implants, whatever it is. So really, like I said, it's not just about wanting to become a specialist. It's just wanting to have a better understanding so you can do the kind of work that you want to do, the level of work that you want to do, and a key thing that I really like is I remember Basil once said in one of his courses when I first went on it was you want to try and do more dentistry on less people, some more comprehensive cases rather than little bits of dentistry. And if that's a philosophy that works for you, then fine. That might not work for everyone, but this is not a, um, it's not a recipe, right? Not everyone has to do this. And you're quite right. You could be an amazing GDP just by going on courses alone. And actually some of the people I really look up to they haven't gone through any kind of formal specialist training and they are incredible clinicians. Absolutely. Well, why don't we uh, say a few words about if, if you're a young dentist and or, or a student or you're a seasoned practitioner and you're considering um, specialising, 
how do you find which speciality is right for you? And and I'll share with you what 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 piece of advice actually you know Rina Wadia periodontist. Okay, yeah, yeah. We did this like a, a talk. It was me, Amit Patel, and Rina. We was giving um, a lecture at King's Dental Society one of the lectures in the evening, uh, and she said something really great that really resonated with me. Okay, uh, and the question in the audience was how do I know what do I want to specialize in or, you know, which it was that along the lines, which is a common thing, you know, people not sure, oh, should I do endodontics? Maybe they decided in my practice, I want to specialize, but I'm not sure what in. And Rena said something along the lines of, and she said it more gracefully than I have, uh, something along the lines of, you will gravitate towards it. You will open up these magazines, magazines and journals and you'll find that you're, you're, you're tending towards a particular thing over time. And you just you know, naturally yeah, gravitate absolutely. towards it. Um, but for me, it was, you know, occlusion, splints, uh, b- bigger cases over time, uh, moving away from single tooth dentistry. And, I'm, you know, more and more, I'm, I'm, I'm picking those up. Yeah. I'm reading more about that, how to do this, how to use, a, you know, a few years ago, it was about leaf gauges, how to use a leaf gauge, how to manipulate, manipulate patient in, in centric relation. You sort of, you find your way in terms of your interests sort of lead you there. What do you think about that? I agree. I completely agree. I also think this will happen according to what your experiences are, right? If, if, you, if you have found it difficult to take teeth out, you're not going to really like oral surgery and you're probably going to rule that out from day one. If you've had a hard time doing molar endodontics, I don't think endo is going to really be the one for you. But sometimes it can be the flip. Sometimes by not being so good at something and then saying, well, actually, I need to go on a short CPD course for this. Um, and then doing some short endo course, for example, you might be like, oh, actually, I really enjoy this. I want to take this further. I was never really good at this. Now I really enjoy it because I understand it a lot better. And um, I'm going to try and pursue this a bit more. I've definitely seen that. I've, I've got some people in the back of my mind right now who who went through that exact pathway, actually. They they weren't doing much of anything or referring it out. And then they started to dabble in it. And they thought, you know what, this is pretty cool. I've enjoyed my journey in learning. Uh, and then they've gone the full whack and are doing specialist programs now. I think the way to do it, though, is always to do a short course first. And I'm just really glad that I did um, Basil's course. And I just finished VT and I'd just done it because it opened my eyes up as to where I was and where I kind of wanted to be at some point in the future. And you don't, like I said, it was only through taking recommendations from people as to how they got there, which was specializing in formal training and that was just something that worked for me but i think do a short course first do taster sessions a lot of these big institutions kings and the eastman they do one day courses e-wisdom they've got lots of good stuff on there the other thing i like hodge is um shadowing people Uh, and you know yeah you can shadow specialists but you know i've shadowed some brilliant gdps uh, and that sort of cemented my current standing that you know i really enjoy general practice but it was it was you know being in that environment watching their daily practice uh, and them able to inspire me so definitely go out there and if you're thinking about prosthodontics see if you can arrange a shadowing session in the west end uh, <laughs> for example uh, with a prosthodontist and, and see their workflow and you're right and it's when you when you shadow people and they're giving you little these kind of golden nuggets of information that seem so valuable. You always remember them. And then you always wonder, well, where did you learn that from? And it's usually because someone else has told them that when they shadowed them, you know. And I think you're quite right. Finding the right people to shadow is important. It's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes you do have to pester people or do what I did. I, I And like what you did as well, you know, going in on the weekends and assisting for free and taking photographs and just helping them out in whichever way you can. Um 
but you've got to do the legwork, right? You've got to put the hours in and you've got to be prepared to, to go in after work and maybe on the weekends to just kind of um, hang around and, and find how these people crystallize their treatment planning and how they how they got their thought process so clear and concise. Absolutely. When you see all these photos on uh, social media of these cases, or if you go on, let's say, RIPE, that's a restorative implant yeah. practice excellence group on, on, on Facebook. Um, when you go on there and you see the photos, what you're seeing is an event. Like what you're seeing is... Mm, yeah, absolutely. What you, you, you don't see the process that led to the event. You don't see the, blo- you know, the blood, sweat and tears. The, the planning. Hundreds of hours, the yeah. courses, the planning. The, the uh, Yes, you do sometimes see the failures on this group, which is why I love why I love these groups who show their full protocols. But you don't see the the 10 other cases beforehand where the dentist was not quite 100% happy with each and every element of it and only when they got a case which had a few more acceptable compromises were they happy to share yeah. it on uh, on social media so um you know you don't see the the hard work and the process that goes into it you just see the yeah. event so it's always important to remember that there's always going to be hard work blood sweat and tears uh, involved no matter which path you're going to go down if you want to be at that caliber of clinician I that you want to be the most i find the most important thing or the thing that's most valuable from looking at, like you say, photographs or uh, a treatment that someone's done and all you have is information, uh, visual information or maybe a caption. Um, I find the most important thing is actually being able to talk to some of these people, really, really pick their brains as to what made you want to do it this way and not that way. Because sometimes they don't give you the alternative um, treatment options and why they specifically chose this, you know. Um, so I've always found that really, really, really quite helpful, really being able to talk to these people directly and say, why have you done this? And also reflecting back on yourself and saying, well, why haven't I thought of that? Is it because I just didn't have the knowledge about it? I haven't got the relevant experience um, and being able to learn from it, really, you know. Now we can listen to some of my colleagues uh, who are doing a diploma in orthodontics. This is Kieran Judge. The thought of having to go back to hospital and doing an act, a job where I'm literally doing it to jump through a hoop and I'm not really finding that I'm gaining any experience in the future field I want to do and something I'm, I'm doing something I don't really enjoy does put me off. Let's hear Sonny Luther's input. What you want to do, if you want to just do regular routine general dentistry, that's fine. There's yeah. no issue with that. But but I don't think you necessarily have to be on the special specialist list or be a specialist to do good quality good quality dentistry really is practice makes permanent yeah. now what does that actually mean you could be doing it wrong and still be really good at doing it wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't want to be doing that mm-hmm. is you need to know how to do it properly now there are many ways to do that that's for the individual to find out but what i am saying is once you learn how to do it properly get in there and do it properly don't cut corners just because you're getting a low fee on the nhs or you're not getting mm-hmm. any money or your mm-hmm. principal or whoever is saying refer them out no get in there and learn how to do things the right way. So I hope I managed to get into the nitty gritty of it all in terms of the true cost of specialising, taking into account the loss of earnings, but also putting it out there that some of the best clinicians I know are not specialists. However, uh, as you heard from Harjot and his passion that, you know, sometimes specialists really, really, really can make a massive difference in terms of how much, how rewarding that can be when you limit your practice or something. So, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. You've got to live the career that you, you want to do it. you got to make it what you want to be. And specializing is just one way of doing it. So uh, catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening.